Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. So a couple weeks ago, a team of us uh, volunteers, every year we have a booth at the Trick or Treat on Southport event. I know some of our families love to, to hang out, bring their kids, and it's usually the Monday before, th- uh, before Halloween, which feels like ages ago already, but only two weeks ago, and um, it's, it's just a blast. We hand out candy. We, I mean, there are thousands of kids. It is chaos, but it's a blast, and we just get to let our neighbors know that we're, we're here, we're in this neighborhood, and, and we, we love you, and it's, it's really, really fun, and so um, about halfway through the event, one of the volunteers and I decided to go for a, a little walk to just check out the rest of the um, event. I mean, they take up, like, Roscoe all the way to Waveland or something. It's, it's crazy, so we wanted to go check it out, see what was going on. They had a DJ, and they're playing all the hits, and the kids are just loving it. I love that Kids Like Thriller by Michael Jackson, um, even though it's, it's an oldie, but yeah. And so the kids are just having a blast. They're dancing. We're, we're you know, just enjoying seeing all the businesses out with, with candy and, and just having a blast. And then all of a sudden, the music just stopped. And it, the DJ kind of came out from behind the, the booth, and we were all kind of like, what's going on? This doesn't feel... This guy's not a great DJ. He, why did he cut the music like that? We're kind of like startled. And then he just goes, hey, everybody, um, there's, there's a lost boy. We can't find this boy. And his parents have come to me. We don't know where he is. Can we all look for this boy? Jack, he's wearing a red Guardians of the Guy, I don't know, some red costume. And um, let's, look, let's look for this boy. So we all kind of stop what we're doing. And just, I mean, there's an insane amount of kids, right? But immediately... We, we just start feeling, we think, okay, hopefully someone will find him real quick. He probably, a couple minutes go by, the DJ's like, okay, we're still looking, you know, no music. Can everybody kind of duck down? So maybe this, I think he was nine or 10. So this boy might be taller than us and we might find, and no, we all duck down. We can't find Jack. And so the, the whole mood of the event just immediately shifted from this joyful Halloween party to this scary kind of where is Jack moment. And this volunteer who was with me and I, we didn't really know what to do. It was like, how can we help? Um, No one really knew where to find this boy. So thankfully, there was a a lot of police around. And so they kind of just said, all right, we're going to start going business to business. We're going to, we're going to find this kid. Don't worry. You know, Keep, keep trying to have fun. But, you know, so we go back to our booth and we know there's this lost boy. I don't know who he is. I don't have a connection to him. But the whole tone of the event just completely shifted. And now it's just this kind of sad, melancholy, okay, here's your, here's your candy, right, type of thing. Um, but then, thankfully, about 15 minutes later, we hear the DJ grab that microphone. We found Jack. We found him. And we're all celebrating like, yes, this kid who was lost has been found. I don't know his parents. But I'm sure they are just so grateful that they found their son. That kind of, of joy and that kind of sadness when someone is lost is what Jesus and, and God experience when the lost are found. And that's what this story about Zacchaeus that we just read is really all about. Yes, it is about generosity and it is about money, but really it's a story about the lost being found. So before we jump into this story about Zacchaeus, I want to just remind us of sort of the bigger context of where we are 
in the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you've been around, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke almost this entire year, taking a few breaks here and there to do different series. But generally speaking, we've been doing a deep dive into this Gospel account. Luke has brought us from the birth and early childhood of Jesus all the way from, from that to Jesus's ministry, healing the sick, proclaiming good news, teaching, and so on. And over the last several chapters, you may have noticed that a certain theme has been coming up regularly as Jesus teaches. And if you haven't already noticed, Jesus is not afraid to bring up controversial topics. Everything from sexuality to politics were on the table for Jesus. And the theme that Jesus has been sort of going on about over and over again over these last several chapters of Luke is a touchy subject. It's something that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. It's money. Luke has been telling us story after story of Jesus interacting with the rich and interacting with the poor and having conversations and teachings about money. In these I think it's five or six chapters of Luke. Jesus talks about money, possessions, or generosity more than anywhere else in the Bible. And while each story, because again, the Gospels tend to be kind of a combination of different stories about Jesus or even stories that Jesus tells, each story has a slightly different punchline, but the general idea is kind of similar. It runs throughout all of them. It can be summarized by this, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew that we would all be tempted to try to find our true identity in what we have, whether it be financial wealth or reputation or power or so on. All of us in one way or another try to find value in those kinds of things, which is why Jesus famously said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus goes even further because he wants us to see that even if somehow we could have everything we ever wanted in terms of wealth or power, we would still be left unsatisfied. You may have heard this. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves, right? All the wealth in the whole world can't solve our problems. It may even make them worse. To put it in the words of the rapper Notorious Big, Mo Money no problems. So Jesus continues to beat this drum, right? That we like to put this false meaning behind money and power. He always seems to run into wealthy folks who just don't get it. There was this man who wanted his, his inheritance from his parents early. He wanted to split it with his brother. And Jesus just tells him the parable of this rich fool. This rich fool was so concerned with his wealth that he wasted his time and energy tearing down all of his barns where he stored all of his excess food. He tore them all down so that he could big, bigger, build bigger ones so that he just never had to work. He could just enjoy living off of his surplus rather than giving away to the poor. And Jesus says, well, you just wasted your time because your life's going to be taken from you this very night. Jesus warns anyone who will listen to watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And yet again, we have the story that Melissa preached on two weeks ago about the rich young ruler, right? He wants to desperately have eternal life. So he goes and asks Jesus, what does he need to do? He's kept the commandments. What more can he do? And Jesus says, sell everything and give to the poor 
And what does this man do? He walks away with great sadness. This leads Jesus to paint this exaggerated picture that clearly explains his, poor, his point. How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to see that the hoarding of wealth not only harms the poor, but it also harms the rich. And with great contrast to the wealthy people who Jesus interacts with, whenever Jesus interacts with the poor, they almost always show amazing generosity. The poor widow in Luke 21 chose to give away everything she had in the temple out of love for God. The blind man who we heard uh, the story about last week, right? He was this impoverished beggar who lost his sight and he seeks out Jesus and he could have asked Jesus for anything, for a million dollars or for a better place to live, but all he asks for is for mercy and healing of his sight. Is it becoming clear to us what Jesus wants us to see about money, wealth, and power? Are we starting to notice a refrain that's being sung over and over again? Is it starting to make sense to us how Jesus could so confidently say this counterintuitive statement in the Beatitudes? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The teachings of Jesus are abundantly clear on the grave dangers of wealth and greed. And yet, and yet, Jesus does not want us to mistakenly equate poverty as a means of salvation, right? Poverty does not equal salvation in the same way that wealth does not equal damnation. They may be related, but they are not direct equivalence. And that is where the Zacchaeus story comes in. The story of Zacchaeus shows us, shows us that there's no formula for salvation, right? When it comes to money, the poor can be saved. And even because Jesus can do the impossible, even the rich can be saved when Jesus comes knocking on the door to do what only Jesus can do. So I want to open up this passage and I really just want to go through it and just kind of dive in and see the depth and beauty of what's going on in in this story. I want to begin by looking at the Zacchaeus character. Who is this man? What can we learn about him? And how does that sort of influence the meaning of the story? So let's read verses one through four. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So there's a couple things that we see in those four verses about Zacchaeus. I want to just unpack them a little bit. First, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is short. In other words, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Does anyone remember that Sunday school song or VeggieTales song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he... Oh, you guys don't know the word. No, I, I don't, honestly, I don't know what passed there. Something about he climbed up a sycamore tree because Jesus, he wanted to see something. Somebody knows it word for word, I'm sure. 
Um, but I, I love Luke. He's a big, a big details guy. He also wrote the book of Acts, always including these, these details. Um, but it's mostly irrelevant, the fact that Zacchaeus is short. I mean, it, it does. There is some beauty and meaning behind it. I'm not going to fully unpack that. But the main reason Luke tells us that he's short is so that we're not like, why is this guy climbing trees? It's kind of weird. But it's just because he wanted to get taller so that he could see above, above the crowd. Pretty good idea. So he wants to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree to see Jesus. But here's something um, that's actually important other than his, his height. Luke calls Zacchaeus a chief tax collector. Unlike the United States, where we mail in our taxes or maybe do them online, um, in ancient Rome, tax collectors would go around the city to collect taxes. They'd go in person to people's homes or wherever people were, and they were known to take way more than they were supposed to be given. They would exploit people. They would exploit the poor. They would exploit whoever they could so that they themselves, and they'd pocket the extra um, to get rich and, and wealthy, right? Needless to say, these folks were not very well liked by the general public around town. And what's interesting about Zacchaeus is Luke calls him a chief tax collector. And this word, this, this adjective chief tax collector is not used anywhere else in scripture except for Zacchaeus. So this would have made him the best of the best tax collector, right? The highest paid, most powerful of them all. And while to his other tax collector friends, this may have been pretty cool and maybe even a badge of honor, um, to the general public, this made Zacchaeus even worse. Not unlike our world today, ancient Rome kind of operated on um, a social spectrum where people landed kind of on one side or the other. On one side of the spectrum, were the very poor, the extremely poor, um, the social misfits, the outcasts, right? And on the other side were the extremely wealthy, the people with religious or, or political or social elite power, right? And Zacchaeus is very clearly on, on this side of that spectrum because of his great power, his great wealth. At the same time, though, because of how despised and hated tax collectors were, Zacchaeus is also, in a certain sense, a social misfit or an outcast, right? It's not easy to place him on this spectrum. And this is why Diane Laneberg calls Zacchaeus a rogue. He's hard to place. In her book, Redeeming Power, she says, how do you suppose people felt when this rogue showed up? Glad or fearful? Threatened or safe? Honored or demeaned? I think it's safe to say that most people would have avoided Zacchaeus, and for good reason. But ultimately, even though he had great power and wealth, he was still an outcast to a certain degree, right? So he's short, he's rich, um, and he's both a powerful elite and a social outcast. The last thing that we learn about Zacchaeus, and this is important, is that he wants to see Jesus, we don't know exactly how or why, but Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is in town and he desperately wants to find him. He wants to find him so bad that he climbs this tree and just waits for Jesus to show up. And as it turns out, Jesus is also very interested in finding Zacchaeus. It's cool how Jesus is always interested in seeking out the misfits and the outcasts. So when Jesus finds Zacchaeus, he immediately invites himself over for dinner. This is verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
I love Jesus. I love how he just, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm inviting myself over to your house tonight. I'm staying in in your room tonight, right? And if we want to be like Jesus, I guess we can feel free to go find the most powerful people, most rich people in town, and just invite ourselves over for dinner. Hey, Elon, well, no, not Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos, no, I don't know. I don't know who I would invite myself over to. Maybe Lori Lightfoot, she's kind of cool. But just go find someone and just invite yourself over to their house for dinner, Apparently, Jesus said, it's, it's cool. And maybe if you're lucky, they will respond to you like Zacchaeus responded to Jesus. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. We already saw that Zacchaeus was searching for Jesus, so it shouldn't surprise us that he welcomes him and just joyfully receives him into his home. We still don't know why Zacchaeus was so welcoming to Jesus. Was it really deep down? Was it a power move? Had he heard that Jesus was going around town and and drawing crowds and, and building up power? We don't know. But Zacchaeus exhibits this hospitable sense of just joyful receptivity to Jesus. And at this point, um, Luke kind of shifts the focus. If Luke was a director um, making a film, he would, he would have the camera pan and move away from Jesus and Zacchaeus, and he'd pan it back to the crowd, right? So Jesus and Zacchaeus are together in, in Zacchaeus' home. We don't know what they're doing, having a meal, conversation, whatever. But Luke finds it important to tell us about the crowd. How is the crowd reacting to this unexpected encounter? Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. So the crowd that watches Jesus enter Zacchaeus' home can't help but just grumble at the sight of it. There goes Jesus, leaving behind the sick and poor to go spend time with the wealthiest man in town. Not only that, but to this crowd, Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst sinners. Greedy, right? Corrupt. Just this self-centered power abuser. To witness Jesus seek him out and spend time with him would have been very discouraging. Notice how the crowd is not afraid at all to call Zacchaeus a sinner, right? They just want to separate themselves from from that man and make him this distant other. He's a sinner, unlike us. They're clearly missing out on what Jesus is all about, right? Seeking and saving people from their sin. I'll say more on that in in just a little bit. But now Luke pans the camera back, right? So we get this little snapshot of the crowd and their reaction, and then Luke pans the camera back away from the crowd to Zacchaeus' home. There they are, in Zacchaeus' house, chatting, maybe eating a meal, we don't know. But what we do know is that suddenly something profound happens all of a sudden. After Zacchaeus has joyfully received Jesus into his home, he stands up and makes this bold statement about this change that he's going to make in his behavior. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus receives Jesus and he cannot help but respond. He's becoming a new person. 
before he met Jesus, he was primarily concerned with building and hoarding his wealth. And now he's the kind of person who wants to give generously to the poor. Before, he was the kind of person who wanted to cheat and steal and be the best in his job as a tax collector. And now he's the kind of person who wants to find everyone he's ever cheated and pay them back four times what he stole. Before, he was the worst of all sinners, a greedy and corrupt power abuser. Now, he's saved. Before, he was lost. Now, he is found. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus has not only heard about Jesus or thought about salvation, Zacchaeus has come face to face with salvation and welcomed him into his heart and his home. And when Zacchaeus welcomed salvation, he began to be changed from the inside out. Here's Diane Langberg in Redeeming Power again. Eventually, the doors open and we see Zacchaeus has changed. Zacchaeus now used his power for two things, to give and to restore. He went into his house mastered by greed. He came out mastered by truth and compassion. He went from power abused to power demonstrated in humility, from greed to graciousness, from self-serving to giving. In other words, Zacchaeus went from being a wee little man to being a short king. Am I right? (laughs) Thank you. Sorry. This is what happens. This is what happens when a millennial tries to make Gen Z jokes. I I need to stop. But seriously, I got to do the wee little man song, you know, for for one generation and the short king for another. Um, But seriously, to the crowd, it may have seemed like Zacchaeus had everything that he needed, right? Before he met Jesus, he had everything he needed. He had money, power, privilege, access to the political, religious, and social elites of his day. He was seemingly no different from that rich young ruler that we heard about a few weeks ago. To the crowd, he had everything, right? That's why they're so angry that Jesus spends time with this man who has everything. But deep down, he lacked what really mattered. He lacked a free and generous heart. He lacked humility, compassion, and redemptive power. He lacked an intimate, life-changing, transformative relationship with Jesus. Simply put, even though it looked like the exact opposite, Zacchaeus was lost. Cheating the poor and hoarding his wealth left him unfulfilled and unhappy. He was searching for more, and whether he knew it or not, he desperately wanted to be found. And that is exactly what Jesus did for him. Jesus found Zacchaeus and brought salvation, brought his very self to his home. Why? Because that's what Jesus is all about. The passage ends with just this simple one sentence statement that's very important. Just this one sentence, this one statement sums up the entirety of God's mission of why Jesus came to earth. And it's this, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save 
the lost. Like everyone who rejoiced on Southport when that lost boy was found. When, when a shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one, like a father who throws a huge party after his prodigal son returns home. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In that same way, Jesus delights and rejoices when the lost are found. No matter who they are, rich or poor, Jew or Samaritan, blind, sick, broken, hurting, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he's still seeking out and saving the lost today. Jesus is still on a mission to seek and save anyone who needs to be found. And the, rea the reality for us as we begin to shift our focus from Jesus and Zacchaeus to what this might mean for you and me today, the reality is being found by Jesus is not just this one-time thing. We may remember that first time we were found by Jesus and we celebrate and look back on that day like Zacchaeus would this day, but every time we walk away, every time we begin to wander or get lost, Jesus wants to find us and bring bring us back into the fold. Jesus is there seeking us out and finding us again. And the beautiful thing is this, when Jesus comes to find us, his heart is not to judge or condemn or shame us. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Jesus finds us in order to save us, to save us from our sin, from our shame, from our brokenness, right? When Jesus found Zacchaeus, he called him by his name. Right? He gave him dignity. He gave him respect when everyone else judged him. He didn't ignore what Zacchaeus was really dealing with. He actually went straight to the heart for the biggest stronghold that Zacchaeus had in his life, his wealth. And that's what salvation looks like. It looks like healing for the parts of us that are most broken. The healing for the parts of us that are most harmful to ourselves and to others. Trevor Hudson um, is a pastor and writer in um, uh, South Africa. He writes this, Whenever Jesus met people, he accepted them unconditionally, but he did not leave them where they were, right? Jesus did not leave Zacchaeus where he was, but he saved him. He, he invited him into a different way of being in the world. And we too are invited into a new way of life. There's no formula for what Jesus will say or do when he finds us because we're all so uniquely different. Think about some of the stories that I just referenced, right? The blind beggar, when Jesus came to him, he needed his sight so that he didn't have to be a beggar anymore, but he could be restored to the work that God created him to do. The rich ruler needed to be invited to let go and surrender his possessions and give to the poor before he followed Jesus. The woman at the well needed to know that she could have living water that would really quench her eternal thirst in Jesus. So the question for us then is what might Jesus be saying to us when he comes to find us again, right? And how will we respond? How will we respond when Jesus seeks us out and finds us? Will we respond like Zacchaeus, and welcome Jesus into our lives with, with generosity and with restorative power? Or will we be like the crowd who grumbled because of who Jesus spends his time with? 
Will we respond like the blind beggar and just, just to seek Jesus out for mercy and healing? Or will we be like the rich ruler and walk away with sadness? Will we be like all the people throughout the gospels who Jesus met and they just responded with judgment, cynicism, and contempt? Or will we respond like the healed leper who fell down at Jesus' feet, weeping to thank him with gratitude? How will we respond when Jesus finds us over and over and over again? I want to do something a little bit different now to wrap up um, than, than how we normally end. So I'm going to put just three questions um, on the screen for us to prayerfully consider. So I just invite you to, to really listen and engage this time. Is there anything Jesus is speaking to you now, here and now, through the Holy Spirit? Pray through that. Is there an invitation from God that you are sensing, right? Zacchaeus responded with an action. Is there something that God's inviting you to do? And then lastly, how is God inviting you to respond? Is there something you wanna say to back to God after God has sought you out and found you? Is there something um, that you want to say? But I encourage you to listen first before you speak back to God. God, I thank you for um, the way you're still speaking this morning um, as, you, as you met Zacchaeus and maybe spoke a word to him and invited him into this new way of life. God, I pray that if we heard something from you this morning, you'd give us the, the courage um, and the strength to respond to whatever it is that you're inviting us into, to whatever new way or new action or new posture or new thought. Um, God, give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to respond. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.